Coming to you live or slightly delayed from the Oklahoma State Capitol. Welcome back to Inside the Capitol. I'm Josh West. And I'm Colin Walkie. Welcome back. we got two special guests today. Before we get started on that, let's talk about, just again, we like to give you guys and ladies an update on House Bill 602, the Oklahoma Data Privacy Act. It was never given a hearing, which is extremely unfortunate uh, because uh, the constituents really want this bill. And the fact that only one person gets to make that decision is really kind of, uh, I don't think, very democratic in my opinion. Well, just remember, there's no such thing as a dead bill. That's true. And so we're letting you know, uh, first here on this podcast, keep your eyes open and uh, you may see that bill alive again uh, before the end of session. I'm ready, bro. We'll make it happen. All right. Today, from the Republican caucus, I've got Representative Tony Hassenbeck. This is in her third year, class of 2018. Thank you very much for What's including your me. My ma'am? district is 65. It's in the heart of southwest Oklahoma. It Tell us what your chair is. My, uh, I'm actually the vice chair of public health mm-hmm. this time. And A so little job. Tony came in in 2018 with uh, a bunch of educators. She's a former educator uh, from rural Oklahoma. Uh, which is what the majority of the Republican caucus actually is rural Oklahomans. And so glad to have you here. Thank you. Representative Colin Walkie, who's your special guest? My special guest today is Representative John Waldron. Take it from there. Hello, John Waldron, House District 77, also a former educator, high school social studies teacher, 20 years. And Tulsa. John, yeah, Tulsa area? Yeah, Tulsa, uh-huh. Oklahoma. And John's one of our uh, in-house historians, if you will. He always has witty things and uh, bits of information to point out. He was talking the other day just about a, 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 a Confederate soldier, I think, that was killed by a cannon or something from a mile away. So yeah. Sniped <laughs> a by a cannon. Check it out on Waldron's Weird History. <laughs> Sweet. I never know. So we wanted to bring both of these educators in today to give you all a perspective on what's happening with the education bills or what's not happening with the education bills. Uh, and Representative Hassenbach may have to leave in a few moments, so I wanted to start with her. So kind of give us an idea of uh, big picture uh, education items that are coming up or that have already gone through or that aren't getting hearing that you think are important for constituents to know about. I think one uh, big positive that the House needs to send the message on is that we are not going to cut education and that it is our plan to put a terrible amount of money in education this session. And I'm excited about that. And I think that we need to um, keep perpetuating that message and that that is is the thing we're driving home. Um, Today on the agenda for the House, I have a bill that will require state boards of education to put in place policies that will make sure that um, breastfeeding moms will have a place in school where they can um, maintain their milk supply. And what that means to breastfeeding moms across the state is um, you won't have to go sit in your car and get that done. You won't have to go in the restroom and get that done. Um, My personal experience with that is I um, had a baby towards the end of the year and stayed home for 12 weeks and I realized one day I was going to have to go back to school or I was yeah. probably never going to go back to school. And um, my husband and I went, I had an office in a library, which really was just like a kind of a desk in the middle of the library. And we built some walls and put up some curtains around that and made it look really pretty and nice in there. And then several moms um, used that space after me. Yeah. So I got to ask, uh, because this is my ignorance, right? I'm not an educator and I'm not a breastfeeding mother either. Mm-hmm. And so uh, is that prohibited right now or is it just a lack of space and so we need a designated area? How's that work? Um, I think it's a, it's a topic uh, most men don't want to discuss with women. Um, that makes it some, maybe that's difficult. Um, there, sometimes there's not space. Sometimes nobody even understands why can't they just go do that in their car or the bathroom. And so um, I've never talked to anyone who even thinks this is a bad idea. 
They're like, I, wow, I this is a long is. time coming. I can't believe we haven't done this yeah. before. Um, and like in the, in the case in our situation, it was of zero cost to the school. Mm-hmm. It was more I, of an I remember when Beth, specifically with the girls, um, you know, she was, I don't, there was, I think she took six weeks with Katie, um, maternity leave and so she i remember trying you know when to try to get a hold of her at lunch and and she wouldn't answer the phone I'm like where are you she goes i'm pumping because i gotta freaking feed her i gotta feed our kids and so she was in the bathroom um pumping and putting the milk in the fridge and so yeah that, that's that's something that the there's only one person at this table can truly understand, and that's Representative Hassenbeck. So I do want to applaud Representative Hassenbeck for this bill. I signed on to it. My wife was a teacher pumping for our child for a long time, and this is going to make a big difference for a lot of moms in education. I think so too, and I think it's going to it's going to be an opportunity for building principals to go to those. Um, folks in their building who get stuff done and are go getters, and it'll allow, probably uh, give them op- the opportunity at least to. Um, you know, talk with people in our community. Let's mm-hmm. see what we can gather up without having to spend any money. Well, I know or- Tony's got to go. So before she leaves, I want you to kind of get in the conversation of it. We've obviously got two educators, but rural and an urban legislator. So what is your perspectives from both an urban, you know, Tulsa area legislator and a rural Oklahoma legislator with uh, Representative Hasselback? What's, what do you, what do y'all see? And what your platform coming in is probably similar with education, but when you get here, a lot of times people see, well, oh, I thought that it was this way, but when I get here, you know, especially as an educator, I mean, I think we've probably got more educators or former educators in the House and Senate than any other profession, uh, profession yeah. represented. Right. And so, so well, Representative Walden, what, what, is, what, is, what do you see from a, you know, your experience your first three years here? Oh, well, uh, first, I'd like to say that there's one more thing Representative Hassenbeck and I have in common is national board certification. And uh, she promoted a bill for national, certifi- national board certified teacher stipends. It didn't make it through, but I'm hopeful we'll get it done. Uh, as an urban educator, uh, I'm concerned about the drying up of the teacher pipeline. Uh, it's, it's getting hard to find new teachers to go into the classrooms in Tulsa and in rural Oklahoma, too, I'm sure. So I think what we need to do is make sure that uh, young people know that there are good careers in education. We've given them teacher raises, but now we need to empower young people to build careers, lifelong careers in education. That's one of the causes I'm dedicated to. I, re- I remember after... Um the 2018 session, I was doing uh, Your Vote Counts with Scott Mitchell, and one of the questions he asked me, he said, you know what, you know, Josh, we have put an additional, whatever it was, $785 million in education. Why do we still have issues with, and I don't know if it's an issue, but the emergency certification. Why do we still have all these emergency certifications? And I said, well, I th- my personal opinion from, from looking on the outside, from not an educator, just a rural parent, um, I don't have private schools in my district. I have a, my district specifically, I've got a ton of, of public you know, schools. And so I, I said, I think we need to find out what, the, why do we have, uh, why are less young people going into the profession? I said, I, I can see their point. I mean, because as a teacher now, you're expected to be a counselor, a nurse, a mother, a father, et cetera. And are you really getting to do your job? And so plus the mandates on top that come from the federal government, and the state government, which we always try to kind of relieve some of those mandates. But we got to find out the root of the problem is why do we have less people going in? I think a lot of it comes down to is they don't they want to teach. They want to teach. That's their job. They don't necessarily want to have, and, and it ends up that way. I mean, some of my favorite teachers were my coaches and teachers back when I was in elementary school that ended up being like a parent to me. And I had a good set of, I had, my parents were great, but you spend so much time with your teachers. And, and I always like having those um, teachers from my district that come up here and visit me because some of the, there's the same ones that taught me, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So. Representative Haspeck, what about you from a rural perspective? Well, okay, we touched on so many things. First thing that I've kind of had a perspective change on 
was I felt like um, when I first got here that we just needed to, you needed to be certified in the total uh, traditional way. I myself don't have, my undergraduate degree was not in education, so I was alternatively certified. Um, I think if we can get a, a person in a classroom and they are having success, we need to continue to develop their skills, invest in them, and research tells us if we can get them to sign that fourth contract, that likely they will stay in the profession as a career. And so I'm, I have, my paradigm has shifted on that yeah. issue. Let's get somebody in there who likes to interact with children because we can teach them all the skills they need to know to be successful. Where in are we classroom. at with numbers with in Oklahoma with them? I think at one time we had over 3,000 emergency certifications. Mm-hmm. Is that somewhere around the same range? It's still at record levels. And the number of people going into our programs is down from 2,000 to about 1,600 uh, across the state. It's far short of what we need to have university certified teachers in the classroom. And I agree that we need uh, people who love children and who love working with children in the classroom. But the one of the d- data points we should look at is that the people who are most likely to stay in the uh, in the profession for a long term are people who graduate from our university programs in education. And, and I always appreciate having, um, you know, I've, I've got lots of friends that, like former military people, the Troops of Teachers program, things like that, that, that may have had an alternative certification too, or an alternative, a degree not in education. But I appreciate also that that other life experience that they had before they came into the classroom. And I feel like they can bring that experience into the classroom and bring a whole set of, you know, ideals and values into the classroom too. So I appreciate the emergency. I, I will never knock the uh, emergency certification program. I mean, that's, um, I, I think it's a good program and it's needed, um, but I see both sides too. Well, Josh, have I got a bill for you? Hold on real quick. Hold on. Well, I was just going to say, there's a, there's another layer of this. Um, I, I think that we really need to start empowering building principles and the building principle is sort of the, the I don't, I, I want to say platoon leader, but I don't know if that would be, I, I don't really know the hierarchy of the military. But they're, they're that person who's in the hall, knowing the kids by name, calling them by name, helping the teachers out, um, making sure that if there's a substitute teacher in the building, you know, that building principle really should go make sure that they are where they're supposed to be, let the kids know there's a building, there's a substitute today, and if she has any problems, she's going to tell me about it. Um, it's those building principles that are they're really um, that guiding force and creating that quality atmosphere and culture in the school. And I, I think we need to start reinvesting in the empowerment of what, building what principles. What does that look like specifically? It looks a little bit like maybe starting with superintendents and encouraging building principles to start having difficult conversations with, with teachers, with kids, with families, and not letting... Um, not letting the fear of a lawsuit or the fear of a difficult conversation keep them from engaging with those families. And because families look so different now, and sometimes a kid doesn't have any family. And so I I just, I think um, we've got to step out of the shell of, I can't get involved involved in the sticky feelings of this, but but we need to. That's kind of the role of principals and teachers well, they're that in the first lives line of, kids. of defense, if you will. Absolutely. They, they spend during the school year. My, you know, my 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 kids' uh, teachers and administrators. They spend more time with my kids than I do, and and 
you all too. And so there, I, I remember talking to my wife, you know, she's in mental health. And so, um, you know, after uh, last spring break, we broke from session, went to the college chair and, and a lot of, well, the schools in Oklahoma didn't go back after spring break with the COVID. And so just looking at the reports of child abuse, usually that come when my wife gets reports of child abuse, it usually comes from the teacher at school because they're hands on. They, and they can see if that student has a difference, a different attitude that day. They know those students. They know their feelings. They can, they can tell if something's up. Well, they had a huge decline in reports of child abuse and, and child endangerments because they weren't in school. And so we were, they were very happy. And, you know, we, we went back to school in August and, and, they've, and we've done our dang, my, my, my administrators have done their very best to keep the doors open. And, you know, it's a different situation in rural Oklahoma. It's the, the jobs sometimes aren't in your town and you have to drive further away. So we have, you know, more parents work outside of the, of the town. And so it's very important to keep those schools open. Well, Representative Hassenbach, we know you've got another meeting that's uh, somehow more important than we have 77 million listeners. Just so yes, you know, I know. it's a right. day too. I feel like this is yeah. probably. Um, I will look back on this in the future and realize this is, this is the moment so where it started to decline. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm glad that we could have that impact. But thank you so much for inviting me. No, we appreciate um, what you do, and and Tony works hard for a district, and we're glad to have her here. And it's. It is like we've always talked about, you know, it's not necessarily these issues we face are not necessarily uh, Republican, Democrats. Sometimes they're rural versus urban. And we've got, you know, the base of the Republican Party, honestly, is is rural legislators. And so um, thank you for coming and and joining us today. And next time you have more time to spend, come on back. happy to. Thank you guys so much. All right. See you, Tony. All right. So, Representative Waldron, I think you were about to jump on uh, a pipeline bill. Oh, yeah. And uh, not oil and gas. <laughs> that's right. Though That's important, Although too. we do love them. Yep. Um, well, I think Representative Hassenbeck is right. Emergency certified teachers make enormous contributions in the classroom every day. Troops to teachers. We have all kinds of programs. We have lots of ways to become teachers. But what we don't have is good data on what happens to teachers after they get into the classroom based on certification pathways. So I have a bill, House Bill 1836, that would uh, track and study teachers progress by certification pathway and give uh, educators in our 23 education prep programs, the teacher colleges, uh, access to data that would help them provide better professional development so that we can help and reinforce those teachers, no matter how they got into the classroom. So let me ask my question from a standpoint of ignorance, right? So I sit here and I hear, I hear alternatively certified mm-hmm. teachers, right? Uh, and, and I sit here and I go, well, I'm a lawyer, uh, and all of a sudden I want to be a teacher one day, and uh, I go fill out a form and maybe take some tests, and boom, there I am, I'm a teacher. Uh, how far off the mark is that? Because from my perspective, that's a concern, right? Uh, so is, is there more to it? Uh, how does that look? Well, you'd be alt-cert under those circumstances because you have background degrees in social studies content. You could, you could be an alternatively certified social studies teacher. That's actually how I got into the profession. Um, emergency certified people don't have a specific degree in the subject area that they're teaching. Um, and so they go test out yeah, for those areas? Right, but you can do professional development. You can study mm-hmm. as you go, and you can test out, and then you move up. Um, the nice thing about going to a university program is you get classes on discipline, on managing systems, on uh, student psychology, and those guys come in with an advantage in preparation. I won't say that anybody is prepared for day one in the classroom, but those guys who come in with university degrees have uh, some backing and often end up being mentors to other new teachers because they've had access to a few classes that are helpful. It, it seems like every year we run legislation that to promote and encourage our teachers to get a nationally board certified. Mm-hmm. So what kind of can you explain to listeners? Because I, I doubt unless you're in the profession that they know the difference between a, a you know, teacher that's gone to the national you know, board certification versus a, you know. 
someone who has it. Yeah. So what is that? And so if you're board certified, it means you've gone through an extensive program of education uh, and study of your students, reflective practices. You videotaped yourself teaching in the classroom, and you've written papers for review by an outside agency. They grade you. You have to take these tests. It's really rigorous. But when you come out of it, you've, got, you've learned a lot about practices. In the past, we offered a generous stipend for national board certified teachers, but that expired about seven years ago. And since then, the number of national board certified teachers has really dropped. We used to be top 10 in this, and now we have about 800 certified teachers in the classroom. And is that because the stipend's gone away? That's because the stipend went away. So uh, let me ask this question, because I think you brought it up, and maybe Representative Hasselbeck did, Wes, but um, talking about the money, right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking about putting more money into public education this year, one way or another. Um, And I know that every single year I get questions from constituents about, well, we keep dumping money into education, but we're not seeing a, uh, a shift. So would you clarify what the issue is there and why that okay. might be? Well, at least from your perspective, anyway. We, uh, it's, a, it's a matter of perspective whether we've dumped money into education. Um, but uh, we have a problem with teacher retention. Um, one of the problems is that a lot of the people who benefited from that raise, that very good raise we got three years ago, are now nearing retirement a lot of them are going to retire. And as I pointed out, not so many people are going into the profession in the beginning. So if I, I had my druthers, we'd invest some money in uh, pipe, on stipend programs for university uh, teachers because we know they're going to stay longer. And we could give them the stipends over a period of like every five years. They'd sign a lot of contracts. They'd become career teachers. And uh, that's a lot cheaper than replacing a teacher every two or three years, which is what we're doing now. Do you have any uh, education bills still alive this session? Well, sadly, no. House Bill 1836 got lost in the deep freeze. Um, it'll, when it'll thaw out, I'm going to run it again uh, next year. And what is 1836? So 1836 is the very sexy Data Governance Council bill, which tracks teachers uh, by certification, helps reinforce them. I do have a stipend bill that I ran uh, in the previous session. That's coming back, too. And how much money would that be? I mean, on the stipend bill, I mean, fiscal impact. Okay. Was well, let's say you put two and a half million dollars into stipends and it uh, gave you a boost in the number of people going into our university programs because they know there's a stipend for them now uh, and they stay longer. Yeah, two and a half million dollars a year is going to end up saving us a lot of money in ed- in uh, teacher recruitment and education programs for certification. The trick is you got to come up with the two and a half million dollars up front. So, John, go ahead, Josh. Well, no, I'll get to it after this. Go ahead. So, so uh, I, I do have a question for you because you came in at 18, right? Mm-hmm. 2018. So, you finished one term, you're starting your second term, and I know that you've been a longtime Politico. You're friends with uh, former Representative Eric Proctor, mm-hmm. and uh, you actually live with Joe Dorman during yep. session. Uh, so, I, you're not necessarily new to the political game, but I think that it's one of those things where you don't really know what it's like to get in the belly of the beast. Yep. And so, uh, kind of tell us whether your perspectives have shifted since you've been here, whether they're the same, any of that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. I think my perspective has shifted a lot. Uh, Start small, focus on the details, over-prepare. It's not easy at all, and it's not like winging it in front of a class of high school freshmen. (laughs) Well, we talk about this often, especially with with colonized class. We came in on a... You know, on the backside of a huge deficit, we 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 knew that we had to do something to do a teacher pay raise um, and get some additional funding. And so we, we made some choices. And as a Republican, they weren't always easy. I'll tell you, I was put on some tough – I felt as a Republican, I was put on some tough votes uh, that dealt specifically with taxes. 
Um, but we kept hearing during the teacher walkout, fully funded, we need to be fully funded. And so I remember specifically asking the teachers, well, what's fully funded? How much of the budget do you think, the, this, our portion of the budget, you know, should go to education? They said, well, 25%. I said, well, we're, we're way past that. What's, what's a, give me a specific number. There's not a specific number. I don't think that anybody can put a peg. We kept hearing fully funded to 2008, 2009 levels. Well, when I would go back, I would say, well, we had all this federal money that was fake money. You know, we, we can't print money out like the federal government. Does and we had this huge package, uh, a lot smaller than the, the packages we've had over the last year with the, the COVID stuff, but the CARES money. But we had all this money that was pumped into our economy, and we were flushed with cash that every agency was, uh, and we had to spend it. And so, you know, if you look at the appropriated budget for education now versus 2008, we're we're way above that. So how, where is that loss there from your perspective? Where? What is fully funded education? Because mine and yours, we probably have a totally different ideal. Are people, are people spending we can get into later? Well, first of all, thank you for those tough votes on the raise. And I don't think that was said enough during the or after the walkout. The raises were, uh, were an important fix. In terms of how much is enough, well, I mean, we could look at the regional average. We're about $3,000 behind the regional average in per-pupil spending. Uh, and we could look at things like getting down to 10, 17 class, class levels, K through 12. We're looking to get through pre-K and kindergarten this year, and that's a great start, too. Um, but to do that, we're going to need teachers in those classrooms. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to look at the, the larger ecosystem of education. It's not just about dollars. It's not just about... Um, you know, the classes we're offering. We've got to have a, a professional teaching core. We've got to have uh, empowered teachers in the classroom. And we need to have adequate supports, um, you know, food programs, mental health programs for kids. That's going to be a huge need coming up. Have you seen a change in teaching itself since you started? When did you become a teacher? 1999. Wow. Uh, so, that, so that was even before. Yeah, I was a sophomore in high school, buddy. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, have you seen a change? Because I, I hear, again, as an outsider, I hear, you know, things have changed dramatically where teachers don't aren't necessarily afforded the same respect that they once were. Uh, parents who come in and, you know, little Johnny's uh, always the, the angel and you're just a bad teacher. Have you seen an uptick in that? Or is it kind of like other things that we hear, you know, at the federal level about politics where it's, it's kind of blown out of proportion? How do you... The first teachers to complain about the respect issue were Socrates and Confucius. I mean, kids are kids. Um, But uh, uh, testing has changed schools a lot. We're in an era of big data. You know, I came to Tulsa in 1999, and in 2001, we passed No Child Left Behind. We began a test-driven, data-driven approach to education. And that takes – data starts to crowd out the craft, the art of teaching a bit. And I think that's been a trouble for my generation of teachers. I felt I always felt like No Child Left Behind, which was it came from uh, President Bush. That was a huge mistake because you know those kids typically, the kids at the bottom were probably they were struggling the most. And there's some of those kids. There's nothing that you can do to bring them up. Uh, your students at the top were always going to succeed because they're driven to succeed. So the kids in the middle kind of got left behind. I thought we had a huge you know, population of students with that, because the point was that we're going to, everybody's going to do the same. We're going to, everybody's going to have the, uh, we're going to finish the same and, and it's going to be equal across the board. And, and I think that, it works that way in real life. Work. No, yeah. it does not. And, and to, I don't, you know, to your point about the pipeline, I don't think you'll find a representative up here on either side of the aisle uh, or any p- political, 
landscape or platform that would not agree with you that we need to keep the pipeline full. But when you yeah. talked about looking at the regional average, well, when I see that, I see a lot of the states around us. If we're going to do apples to apples, well, we're looking at you know money that goes into the education system. The way we fund, we have so much off the top money. Um, specifically for you know insurance, roads, and bridges. Well, oh, you're with, talking with about education, education right? Yeah, yeah. And so that you know retirement insurance, those other states that we're compared to, you know, we talk about all the time. We only appropriate about forty percent of the budget, and so those other states, a lot of states, um, I don't have a, a, a an accurate you know number, but the house controls the purse and they appropriate a hundred percent of those dollars. We don't, and so that money that goes for flex benefits with insurance and retirement, a lot of the, the states that we're compared to, that goes into their, their that that is counted as a factor that counts towards our pure people spending, and so because of the way it's funded through the through the general revenue fund, ours is off the top, and so we don't get credit for those. I'm not saying we need credit, but if you're looking at you know, our, our average uh, per people spending, it looks lower at times, I feel, because that money does not count towards per people spending like it does in other states. So I think that, you know, going back to the, the money uh, issue, I, I agree that money doesn't fix all problems, but I think not having money prevents you from fixing problems. And what I've noticed is, is, is that, I mean, I can put, I could probably put a number on it to say what fully funded education in Oklahoma means. And to tie into what Representative West is talking about, you know, our budget's roughly $8 billion in the state that we actually appropriate, that we appropriate. Uh, there are other agencies out there that we do not appropriate we don't touch their money because it's quote unquote off the top uh, or the fees that are associated with buying like a hunting license it goes directly to the wildlife we don't fund wildlife and so people need to understand that our hands are tied here in the state of Oklahoma to some greater degree than other states because of those off the top dollars and because we have to have a balanced budget if I were to sit here and be able to say okay I've got a magic wand and I can wave it okay I want eight billion dollars I want to double our education budget and you know I want a two and a half uh, times where we're currently at uh, and that's what I would would want to see because that would allow us to expand counselors and all of those sorts of things that would help those lower income students or those students with ACEs that that are problematic um, to get them where they need to go. But the reality is, is that our hands are tied to a greater degree here in the state of Oklahoma by virtue of the way our budget system is set up in the first place. So we're just never going to get to my ideal world, but I think there's a way to make that happen um, in, in my dreamland. I mean, the overall budget in the state of Oklahoma is about 21 billion dollars and so we appropriate roughly you know 48 percent of that or something and so um so those are obstacles but they're not end-all be-alls and we're always working hard to, to do the right thing and um from a like from a rural legislator standpoint i i don't have the private schools in my district i've got i've got a couple of schools one of them is a, a school over on the south side of the lake that um one of the uh, seventh day Adventist schools. And then I've got one, uh, over in by the Disney area that works with troubled youth from throughout the, the whole country. And so, um, yeah, there's the education issues. It seems like every year they're toxic in the media. And, and part of it's because of the bureaucrats outside this building, the different groups, um, it will, will put out, you know, it, whatever's important to them is important to them. And so there it's one sided a lot of times on these issues. And, um, and I do my best every day. I mean, I, I realize that the, the kind of the struggles that rural Oklahoma has with, with retaining and, and recruiting teachers. And so I always, that's always a thought in my head and I have good relationships with my superintendents. I've got a lot of different schools in my district and a lot of those superintendents were teachers of mine growing up or coaches of mine growing up. And so, um, it, it, it is an issue, though, with the way we appropriate monies. And I've never voted. We've None of us here have ever voted on a cut. 
I voted on a budget that may have, you know, had cuts had built had into it, it. Right. but I've never said I'm going to vote today on a bill that cuts education or cuts roads and bridges or cuts DHS or whatever, you know, whatever core service we're talking about. Um, but at the end of the day, we are constitutionally mandated to balance the budget. And like we've talked about many times, we can't print money out. It'd be great if we could. But, but we can't. So, Representative Waldron, uh, with, with the last go-round, tell us here what you want your listeners in Tulsa to know about your work going forward. Just give us a last thought. Okay. Well, one thing I'd like to point out is that we really aren't that far apart on education. If you listen to us carefully, you saw we were saying a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. We were for a lot of the same things. And we ought to be a little less polarizing in our language about education because it concerns us all, and it's all important for our future. I'm going to keep working on education, uh, making sure we have good smart policy. I want to make sure that there is a good teacher in every classroom. So I'm going to keep on fighting for the teacher pipeline. It's a very big ecosystem, as I mentioned. There's lots of great people on both sides. They are working on education. This little patch is going to be mine to tend, I think. Fantastic. We appreciate your work on that. Absolutely. And we can't say it enough. We talk about it pretty much every episode, the rhetoric that people get caught up in with politics. You know, I said it last time, about 80% of everything on the floor, we can agree on it. It passes unanimously. It's it's uh, some of the other stuff that doesn't. And, and we, just like Representative Walton said, we don't disagree on these issues. We may disagree on how to get there. Right. And so the, the one of the main parts of this uh, podcast was to bring people of different political parties to the table and show people that – we don't hate each other. Yeah, uh, we can disagree yep. and disagree and disagree, but at the end of the day, we got to work together. And, and there's not a representative here or a senator here that doesn't feel that they're doing their best for their district. And if they're not, they won't be here. That's there's right. Decisions we'll vote for. With the exception of the chair of the Senate Judiciary. <laughs> um, in any event, yeah. Well, uh, Representative West. Uh, I think our listeners can tune in on this at okhouse.gov. You can go over to the media page, and underneath that, there's a podcast. And then uh, you can also check us out on Spotify. Make sure you check us out and share us with your friends because we need to uh, beat Joe uh, Rogan's uh, listener view. Yeah, we we will probably be about 300 million viewers by the end of the month. Keep right. it up, guys. I'm thinking. Keep so. it up. Representative Wallen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, uh, Representative Hasselbeck, who's not with us. Representative, see you next week. Hey, and next next week week might be a fun one. We'll see what happens between now and then. But uh, we're in the middle of deadline week, so there might be some good bills for us to talk about by next week. Yes, I'm ready. Yeah, because y'all haven't really heard Wes and I go at it, so you might hear us go at it. Crush you. There we go. I'm gonna crush you (laughs) with a big bear hug. All right, thank y'all. See you next week. (laughs) 